Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and to the traditional owners of the game Mangrook, without which our game wouldn't exist. This is Footy Actually, brought to you by Play On Radio. A big hello to you and welcome to the Alternative Footy Podcast for diehard fans. Is it soccer? No, it's footy actually. I am Rana Hussein and on today's show we will be recapping highlights from round five of the AFLM, asking who needs to pull their socks up and looking ahead to round six. We've also got our tips for the coming round and your listener questions. Of course, I am not in here on my own talking to myself. I am joined by my co-host who will be with me every week talking footy, actually. It's the one and only AFL analyst, Gemma Bastiani. Welcome to our men's footy podcast, Gemma. Thanks, Rana. I'm excited to get this launched. We're coming off the big finale of AFLW, which we have talked to death about in the play on review. So now we turn our eyes to round five of the AFLM. Because there's so much to talk about and we couldn't possibly get to every game, we will be shining our spotlight on what we think matters from the round so we can talk as the diehards do and go way deep. So are you ready, Gemma? Always ready to go. (laughs) Let's do this. You're spotlighting the Melbourne Demons today who played Hawthorne on Sunday afternoon at the MCG. Melbourne in the end beat them 15-14-104 to Hawthorne's 8-6-54. It was an arm wrestle for the first three quarters though, Gemma. That's why I wanted to highlight these guys because Melbourne historically has been unreliable to say the least. So their ability to stick fat through a game for the second week running where they have been challenged at three-quarter time 
they were only up by 10 points at three-quarter time against Hawthorne. They ended up winning by 50 without Stephen May in the side. So And Bailey Fritch, who's, who's a prolific goal kicker and forward mark for them. So I think that is the thing that really stood out, getting themselves out of a tough spot. Their maturity to stay with it and move through it that way was super impressive. Last week against Geelong, they were up by 12 at three-quarter time and ended up winning by 25. So this is a different Melbourne to what we've seen in the past. Ed Langdon and Jake Melksham each kicked three goals. So they're both players that have come across from other clubs in recent years, relatively recent years. Clayton Oliver did what he did, but he had 30 disposals, eight tackles and four clearances. So he was really important around the ball. And then Tom McDonald, actually, who I'll be honest, I have never been a big rap for. He had he kicked two goals, had 22 touches, took 10 marks, which was really important, and had three goal assists. So he was getting involved in the game in other ways. And he's a player who in the past has been known to fade out of games, sitting forward when the ball maybe isn't coming to him particularly well. But in this game, he was imposing himself onto it rather than waiting for the ball to come to him. And I think that is what was really impressive about this. So let me ask you this, Gemma. Can D's fans believe yet? I, I mean, the challenge comes this weekend against Richmond and we will get to that. But the the reason you can believe as a D's fan is that this exact reason, the maturity to get yourself out of a tough spot rather than either winning comfortably or just letting it go. There's It's that middle ground where when you're challenged, you're able to hold on. That is what is looking so good about Melbourne this year. As a D supporter, I am not fully believing yet. And I'll tell you why. I think it's a little bit of a false economy when it comes to the Ds at the moment because they've played cats who are old and slow at the moment. <laughs> GWS Saints and Fremantle. So I do really think it hangs in the balance this weekend against Richmond will really tell us uh, what they're made of. I would love to see them get over Richmond, but even just be competitive. I'm not convinced about their goal-kicking ability, frankly. It's funny you say that, given the fact that Sam Wiedemann kicked seven goals in the VFL on the weekend and Ben Brown kicked three. Both are ready to go. I would imagine one of them at least replaces Mitch Brown this week. Mm. Um, And, you know, you can't really go past the other given that sort of performance. So it'll be interesting at team selection this week. It's going to be a really interesting game too, because don't you think, oh, we're going to get to it. We will get to it. (laughs) Let's let's hold the line on that one. Uh, West Coast had a decisive day out against what I'm calling a depressed Collingwood. But 10 goals between Jack Darling and Oscar Allen, they have combined to make a formidable forward line, Gemma. And that's considering the fact that Josh Kennedy kicked one goal for this game, but was still part of that forward line. The thing that's so exciting about this performance and a little bit of what we've seen from West Coast this year, not a lot yet, but a little bit, and particularly in this game is... In the past, those three big forwards have been prone to, instead of working together, getting in one another's way and impeding the space or impeding the run or lead of one another. In this game, what we saw was that they knew where each other wanted to go. They knew when to hold back or when to pull their teammate, their opponent out of the space to create that option for their teammate. And that is what you want to be seeing with these big forwards at West Coast. And they were rewarded for it. Yes, there's the conversation of 
Darcy Moore playing in the forward line and not being there. There's the conversation of Jeremy Howe being injured. But it wasn't just the fact that Collingwood had a depleted back line. It was also the fact that they were playing smart footy as a team, which is something that people forget in that AFL footy, Aussie rules footy is a team sport and you need to rely on your teammates to do things to assist you to be the best player you can be. And that is what we saw from West Coast in this game. And if they can continue that, they become a very, very dangerous team. But they need to keep that forward chemistry going. Well, it's weird to say this, but a promising duo has arisen at Port Adelaide as well, with Georgiades and Robbie Gray kicking six amongst them. Yeah, the thing about Port's forward line is that, and, and Port as a team generally, is that we talk about young players, we talk about Rosie, we talk about Butters, and we talk about Dersma. But there are a number of other young Port players in this kind of new generation coming through that are absolutely up to the task. So Georgiades in this forward line is one of those players. He kicked three goals. It, it's kind of, it was kind of nice seeing him and Robbie Gray each doing that because Robbie Gray is coming towards the end of his career. He's 32 now, I think. And Georgiades is just got another rising star nomination. He's a young kid who is coming in and, and looks to be that big marking target up forward, that reliable forward that they can have for the next 10, 12 years as these other players retire. And that's what's exciting about it. The The youth at Port Adelaide is probably equally as exciting as, as any of the other teams we talk about, Sydney and, and if those teams. There's a, there's a long-term plan there now, whereas in maybe five years ago, it didn't feel like that maybe was the option. For fans this year, how much can they dream? For Port Adelaide? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I at the start of the season, tip them to be the premiers. Mm. They have everything going for them. They just need to put it on the park, which is is easier said than done at times. But Port, I think, will absolutely be there in the pointy end. They should have been there last year as well, save for a poor finals performance, you know? Mm. So I think Port are definitely a team to be watching this year. They play an attractive style of footy. They have the stars, but they also have the supporting players. That's what makes a good premiership team which is what we saw from the Brisbane Lions on the weekend um, in the AFLW it's everyone across the board is playing a part rather than there's a number at the top level and then they're relying on the top level to get them there whereas Port everyone does the job I'll never forgive them for ruining that song for me though Uh, just quietly never tear us apart ruined it for me All right, so Gemma, of course, as all good footy shows must do, we will be anointing a play on performer each week for which they receive nothing but our admiration. (laughs) So they should feel very honoured, I think. To whom are you awarding the very first footy actually play on performer of the round? you got to go with Joe Danaher, don't you? you got to. Coming up against his old side, he absolutely rose to the occasion. He's a player who... Uh, can be a little bit inconsistent in his output or in his involvement in games. But I do think that he has done very well um, this year to try to impose himself in a way that works, again, for the team and not so much just for himself. But that being said, let's highlight him. Um, He had 
He kicked two goals. He had 25 disposals, which was a career high. His his career average is actually 12.7, so far double his career average disposals. He took eight marks. He averages just under six a game t- typically. He had three clearances as well, so you know he was getting involved in those ruck stoppages in the forward half and being involved there. His career average is below one clearances, and he had 561 meters gained. He was a dominant force within a forward line that was operating well. And that's what Brisbane need to find every week. It's okay if he or Hipwood or even McStay coming to the forward line have a big week as long as the others are up to a generally good level. The issue they've had is that, you know, the ones that aren't performing so well are actually performing maybe closer to their bottom ability. This was a was a game where the best player was playing very, very well, but also they had a number of others that were just getting the job done. That's what they need to find. I think Joe Dano had led that forward line very well. Were you happy for him? Yes, I was. Yeah, it was a funny feeling, wasn't it? You really did want to see him succeed. And it's incredible to think about this man who clearly felt so much pressure being in Melbourne from such a footy dynasty. He just seems to be so much happier up north, away from the Melbourne kind of spotlight, um, really really hitting his straps now. Yeah, and, you know, getting his body right was part of the problem. Um, finding somewhere that he mentally was comfortable was part of the problem. You just have to be happy for a young guy who's finding kind of a bit of a semblance of normality, a semblance of happiness in where they're at. We saw it with a number of different players traveling up we saw it when buddy went to sydney you know a lot of those things are happening and love him i hate him you've got to be happy with that sort of performance as well right absolutely and i think if you're Essendon, you're happy because i think they really needed to flush out some of those older players like sad like danaher even though they're thriving at other teams Essendon just needed a fresh start i reckon yeah absolutely the fresh start part was because Essendon are so attached to tradition and that can be just a poison dart for a club because if you're not willing to make changes, the world is constantly changing. If you're not willing to make changes, you are going to be left behind. I've had this conversation with so many people recently that, yeah, it's tough to change sometimes, but it's for the better. And again, I'm using a Sydney reference. You're seeing the youth at Sydney come through and refresh that club, even with a few of those old heads there. You know, Essendon just needed that kick in the butt to do it. And look at what their young players are doing. Sure, they lost this game by a significant margin, but everyone knows who Nick Cox is now, don't they? Everyone knows who Archie Perkins is. They're they're the future of your club, not a Joe Danaher. And they were quite competitive against Sydney. Yeah, they like were. They play when they when they're playing together well. It's actually quite fun to watch too. I yeah, think. and that's the nature of rebuilding a list too. Is that it's not going to work every single week as you do it. You're going to have down weeks. But when it does click, you will see the results of that. Look at what the Dogs AFLW side did this year. It's a young list who beat some really good sides, couldn't quite get it done come fi- like come reaching finals. But look at what you've got to look forward to over the next five years at that club. That's what Essendon's doing now. And if they can do that, while players like Danaher thrive at other clubs, more power to everyone involved in that. Well said. 
Okay, well, we've talked about the games, but Gemma, you know I am as much a fan of the sideshow that is footy as I am of the game itself. And one of my favourite things post-game is the coach's press conference. The reason I love it is because I love to watch a grown man squirm and completely betray their inner thoughts and feelings to save face and toe the party line. Don't you love just watching it? So statements like week by week and, yeah, the boys played well, I was proud of them. But you know, you get the feeling that they're just dying to unleash. I mean, maybe, yes. <laughs> I think so. I think if they, if, if they wouldn't get slaughtered on social media for it, I think they would love to just tell us what they really think. There have been some moments that, you know, like there are some extreme moments, i.e., Last year when your mate Damien Hardwick <laughs> suggested that Sydney was playing 75,000 players in defence. Oh, yeah, that and, was rogue. Or Alistair Clarkson said that Tom Papley was a diver and then they went in and asked John Longmire his thoughts and you could tell that he was displeased. Of course. I live for those moments and just like you like to fawn over the numbers <laughs> I tend to watch those press conferences and wish I could be in that room with all the journos to ask the coaches something really juicy or curly that is my fantasy <laughs> so if I may I would love for you to indulge me in a little role play I was wanting to uh, well I'll tell you first but I want to hear what you would do too all right so if I were in the presser I would love to be an oppressor with David Teague, I think. And I would want to ask him if he thinks Carlton have made a mistake by extending Betts' career by a year. And if he thinks they're just treading water. Don't you think that's the question that needs to be asked now? They could have got a young 19-year-old that's sprightly and they can develop instead of extending. Of course, we all love Eddie Betts, but what is he bringing to that team? I feel that senior players bring more than just what they do on the field. And this is the conversation many people have had about Buddy is that if Sydney don't win a flag with him, it was a wasted contract or it was too much money. I don't think that that's the case. Eddie Betts is a born leader. He's uh, He's got the skill and the talent to teach those younger players and make them feel confident. If you... Do you think Michael Gibbons feels far more confident running out and learning from Eddie Betts than if he wasn't there? I think Carlton are at the point where they need some fresh talent. You don't think Carlton have a lot of young players on their list? They do, and I just don't know. I don't I, look. I suppose yes, off-field leadership is important. I just wonder how long they're gonna they're gonna keep that spot for him. I love it and clearly the fans love it and it's good for their marketing team. But I don't know. Anyway, it was a curly one I would love to ask David Teague. Here's another one for you. I would love to ask Simon Goodwin if Mark Williams is the difference this year and whether we can retire the nickname Choco. I think we can cancel that, right? I don't even know what the nickname was for to begin with. No, I think there's some dubious backstory there, uh, <laughs> which I don't always, love. Always is. Um, and another one which we sort of touched on earlier, I would ask Goody, who do you expect to kick goals against tough sides like Richmond? Because Clearly uh, the answer is Ben Brown and Sam Wiedemann. <laughs> Although hopefully they get a game now. Up until then, I'm not so sure. And look... Kicking goals in the VFL is very different to kicking goals 
This sounds like a Richmond supporter asking these questions. Uh, do you have any questions that you would love to ask in a press conference? I have one as it stands. Mm. I would love to ask John Longmire structurally. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Are the injuries to Tom Hickey, Dane Rampey and Isaac Heaney the worst combination of injuries the Swans could have copped? Mm. Because structurally, I think that they're the three most important players to the side. And for all three of them to be out... Um, Dane Rampey and Heaney, obviously, with a shorter time frame than what Hickey has. Uh, I think that will significantly impact the Swans over the next month. Great question. I preface all of this by saying I would absolutely not have the guts to ask any of these. So I'm going to ask them here with you and just know that they're out in the ether and maybe someone else with more courage will (laughs) tackle them in the presser. And if you are listening and you have a curly question that you would love to be asking in a presser, send them through to us on the social media because we would love to hear them. Maybe we'll ask them here and send them to our journo mates to <laughs> ask in the presser. Well, we've talked about our highs of the round, but of course there's got to be a yang to our footy yin. And for us, it's being able to talk, as diehard fans do, about those teams or players or areas of the game that could improve a little. And let me be clear, this is not by any means a blowtorch or a slamming of anyone. It is just a friendly, hey buddy, pull your socks up. Gemma, who needs to pull their socks up this week? Mine is... Probably a fairly obvious one this week. It's the Saints men's team. Mm. After beating West Coast in round four by 20 points in a fairly dramatic win, late win, they just fell to pieces against Richmond, 86-point loss. They need to find an ounce of consistency in their game. And I know that they're dealing with injuries and things like that, but that sort of flopping back and forth between wins and losses week to week is just not at a standard that fans are going to accept, that teammates will accept, that their coaching panel will accept, and they are really going to shoot themselves in the foot if they don't find some consistency in their game. So against Richmond, they were negative 16 for clearances, negative 14 for tackles, negative 10 for tackles inside 50, negative 12 for marks inside 50. Richmond took 12 more marks inside 50 than they did. And there were negative 31 for inside 50s. So they were just completely dominated across the ground. And two weeks ago, three weeks ago, the big conversation about St Kilda was their lack of tackle pressure. And they sorted that out. And that's kind of how they got back into that game against West Coast. And then they just fell apart again. Just a complete lack of pressure around the ball. Tackling is something that you can do whether your team's up and about or not. 
That's a small way to impact the game. Again, I referenced the grand final that happened on the weekend. Kathy Spark laid a game-winning tackle in the end. And those are the things a good team does well. And those are the things that a poor team doesn't do at all. And St Kilda, unfortunately, is falling into that poor team category. So how do you fix this problem for the Saints? You do those things well. Start doing that and you'll start to see the rewards. So I feel for Jack Steele, who that rhymed, but he is their co-captain. He's putting that work in. Very few other players are. I agree completely. And it's so interesting. You brought up the women's game. I think this men's side have something similar, are doing something similar to what the women's side did, as the St Kilda women's side did as well, which is that they seem a bit withdrawn and not uh, attacking as much as we would like to, would like to see them do. And I wonder with St Kilda where their on-field leadership is. You, uh, you get the sense you need someone to kind of take the game on and to get them energised. They just seem to lack a bit of that energy. There were contests in the air that players just weren't going for. Many times where they didn't defend, where they could have been defending, it just, it just made me feel like they didn't really want to be there. They just seemed withdrawn. It's very odd because we have seen this group play in a way that isn't like that at all so there's something a little bit strange it's just they need something to get them up and about on a more regular basis and you know maybe if laying a few big tackles starts that why not try that and whoever's playing them this week they're going to be poleaxed agree if I was Ratton I'd be asking who's gonna step up and and lead on field did you have one to throw into the ring here yes I want broadcasters to pull their socks up The reason I'd want that is because the AFLW Grand Final was held over the weekend and it was beautifully covered siren to siren. But before and after that, there was very little by way of interesting coverage of the pregame. So many stories in this Grand Final to tell so much interest and so many interesting things they could have been talking about. And the grand final finished and I just felt lost afterwards. There was no analysis, no breakdown, no party. The broadcasters just didn't come to the party. And I was really, really disappointed. So I wanted to say Fox Footy, Channel 7, <laughs> pull your socks up. All right, well, let's look ahead to next round. Some interesting matchups ahead, but I am most excited, of course, about Saturday night. Melbourne versus Richmond at the MCG kicks off at 7.25. Let me tell you what I'm most excited about, Gemma. So this is, of course, the Anzac Eve game. I am really excited to see Petrarca and Dusty play in a game together. They are both in great form. I think they'll be very competitive for the Brownlow alongside Bontempelli. So I'm really excited to see how who rises above the other in this game. But I'm also really interested in seeing Nank versus Gorn. I really appreciate them both as Ruckman and they're both similar types of Ruckman. So I'm interested to see how that contest goes. Both teams have a very different game style, right? So I, again, I'm really interested to see which one of those will stand up on the day. Yeah, so there's a couple of other things to this game as well that um, 
is worth mentioning. So it's Nathan Jones' 300th game. Um, long-term servant of that club. Was with the club through its darkest days and never thought about leaving. Um, has captained the club and it's just a great day for him. So I hope they get up for him because he deserves that. Uh, he's will be only the second demon to reach 300 games. So props to Nathan Jones there. The last time... Melbourne played Richmond, and uh, Melbourne beat Richmond. Was round five, two thousand and sixteen. Oh wow! They won by thirty-three points, and then Richmond won the flag the following year, <laughs> and Melbourne has not beaten them since. Um, the five games since that Melbourne win, Melbourne have lost them by an average of thirty-two point four points. Mm. So, this is Melbourne's best chance at redeeming that. Both teams are in good form. You mentioned the game styles. I think for Melbourne, um, getting the ball into the hands of players like Ed Langdon on the outside is going to be crucial to that game style. And then the other thing is Melbourne's mids need to be very, very conscious that the Richmond midfield, yeah, it's a little bit undermanned at the moment, but they're going to be smart enough to not only be prepared for Nankervis's taps, but know what Gorn wants to do with the ball. The Melbourne mids need to be aware of that and willing to stop that from happening rather than just go ball hunting. Mm. They need to be thinking in two minds there. That will be key to this game. And then I think conversion at goal. Melbourne at times has been inconsistent when it comes to that. Uh, that will un- be another part that Melbourne need to make sure they get right to win this game. Will they be able to withstand that target's pressure, really? If uh, any Melbourne... Uh, the, this is the first Melbourne side in five years that I think can. Oh, I'm so excited. Look, the Ds are undefeated coming into this game, which is so weird to say, but... I still feel like the Tigers are coming in red-hot favourites for this. Well, I mean, the Tigers have lost to the Sydney Swans. I think you'll <laughs> recall, Rana. Tig- uh, I, I say that because the Tigers have come up against Port Adelaide and a really informed Sydney. So they've been truly tested already this season. So I think they're already battle-hardened, whereas I don't know that the Ds are just yet. And... Tigers just walk into that stadium with so much confidence. Except when they're playing against Sydney. <laughs> all right, all right. Look, we'll see what happens, but I am very excited and I will be at the G for that game. What about you? What are you most looking forward to in the next round? So it's hard to go past this round without talking about the Giants and Bulldogs playing uh, on Friday night. This is a modern-day rivalry um, that kind of started in that 2016 prelim There's been a number of close games, but more significantly, there's been moments in games that has created this. So you think about the Toby Green kick that got Luke Dalhouse. You think of Ryan Griffin and Cal Ward leaving the dogs and just kind of up and leaving, going to the Giants out of the blue. Uh, You think of the Haynes and the Bontempelli incidents. You think of all these things, all these mind games that these clubs have put into it. Both teams are in form now. The Dogs are obviously going in with a 5-0 record, but they're yet to play. It's kind of like you're talking about Melbourne. The Dogs are yet to play a side other than maybe West Coast that is a genuinely threatening side. The Giants 
aren't a genuinely threatening side yet, but they're finding form. So now is a good time for this game to happen. Yeah, I'm really excited about this one too. And I think I think this is GWS's chance. I really feel for them. They had their window and it feels like it's very quickly closing. So I really do hope to see them get up for this game. I've got some listener questions for you, Gemma. These, of course, can be submitted via social media, which we'll have in the show notes, uh, but you can find us on all the socials. Uh, These are some questions that we have received and there's a few corkers in there. Gemma, is Mundy getting better as he gets older? Mundy's always been amazing. Let's start out by saying that real quick. The thing I think that is helping Mundy now is that he has a young group with him who are supporting him to be able to do that stuff more easily, more regularly, um, more visibly. So you look at Adam Chera, you look at Andy Brayshaw, you look at Lockie Schultz. There's players coming through at Frio that are picking up some of that slack so he doesn't have to do as much of the dirty work. So he can do the other stuff that we're seeing this year and it's glorious to watch. Fremantle have been tracking towards this for a while. They finally reached that point. All right, there you have it. Gemma's, Gemma's expert take. Next question is another interesting one. To what extent do you think man on the mark has changed or affected the game? Is it the biggest impact a rule change has had on the game in recent history? It's hard to judge a rule change in times that um, are so unusual. So we're coming off a COVID season. We're coming off a season where they had shorter quarters. They're coming off a season where they were in hubs. So coming back into what is a relatively regular season, you can't judge it just based on that rule. You can't decide that scoring is higher because of that rule because maybe some of the players got fitter because of the shorter um, turnaround between games last year. Maybe the fact that they're home and playing has help them improve because mentally they're in a better place. Like there's so many other factors here that could be impacting what the game styles and things like that. The Swans, and I know that I keep going back to the Swans, but they're a good example. They've been trying to play this way for a while. It's working this year because, well, until the last quarter against GWS, because they had the right personnel to execute it. So they had a clean tap ruck, which we saw work with Sam Naismith at the start of last year before he got injured again. Clean tap ruck, strong defense, quick running midfielders. You see Hickey go down, you see Rampy out and Heaney gone. It's not quite working as well. They're still trying to play the same way, but it's not being executed as cleanly. So there's a lot of factors coming into it. I think the biggest impact the player on the mark rule has had is when taking set shots Mm. in two different ways. The smart players are using it to their advantage and they're kicking further. Players that want to be smart are trying to exploit it and it's causing their accuracy to drop away. We're only five weeks in. Let's talk about this again in another month and a half. Yeah, I, that's what I think. I think we don't have a big enough sample size. But so far, I think it has had a massive impact in a way that other rules that they've brought in haven't really. So I'd be interested to see if that 
remains or drops off. And I wonder how quickly coaches and players will work out how to work around that rule. There are two rules that come to mind from recent memory that I think have had a bigger immediate impact than this one. 666. 666 is one. And we saw that destroy Melbourne for a number of years. Mm. It completely ruined their game style and they've only just kind of gotten back from that. And the third man up rule. So mm. And that destroyed the Western Bulldogs game style. It's taken them a while to come back from it. So it's impacting different teams based on what their game style is. And it's interesting that, yeah, the Swans, as an example, yes, it's helping them, but it's also coming at a time that they're able to take advantage of it. Fascinating. This next question, uh, I think, is coming from a Melbourne supporter who's a little bit frustrated. <laughs> And it isn't me, surprisingly. Uh, why does Max Gorn insist on kicking the ball when he is such a poor field kick, especially when he has great running mids to handball to? I actually think that's a really good observation. He could probably, he has some great runners in that side. He could just be handballing off to, he grabs the, gets the mark, handballs it off. But he does choose to kick a lot and he, he's not a great kick. I haven't seen, haven't looked at his kicking efficiency numbers, so this will prompt me to go and do that. Okay, there's some homework for you. I don't, I, his field kicking isn't something that comes to mind as being incredibly poor. It depends on where he gets the ball, though. I think if he's got the ball on the wing and he's kicking toward, you know, an inside 50, that's great. Coming out of defence maybe is a different story. For Jaden Hunter and Ed Langdon or Jake Lever even are there to get the handball, then that's probably when you want to see him handing it off. But if he's got a long field kick, unless he's trying to pick off a pinpoint pass into the corridor, I'm not too fussed about Max Gorn taking a long kick down the line or to the top of the goal square. Oh, well, there you go. I mean, I think he had his best game he was in a long time. outstanding. His tap work was unbelievable on the weekend it was a joy to watch um melbourne has actually put up a a little video on instagram of uh, some of his highlights from the weekend i highly recommend going and watching that because you can fully understand his value as a ruck um from that video well thank you for your questions you can send them into at play on radio melb on twitter we would love to hear them we're almost finished. I am going to get your tips for the weekend, Gemma. Excellent. I haven't thought about this at all. <laughs> okay, so first game up on Friday night is GWS versus Western Bulldogs at Monica Oval. 7.50 is kickoff time. Gemma, who is going to win this game? As much as I would like to tip the Giants, I think the Bulldogs will get this one done. Yep, I've picked the Bulldogs as well. What about Geelong versus West Coast Eagles on Saturday at 1.45? I mean, the talk of the town is that Jeremy Cameron will be playing his first game for Geelong. I still think Geelong are not quite there. So I'm going to go with the Eagles. I have also tipped the Eagles, even though this game is being played at Cadinia Park. I think the Eagles will get over the line on this one. Your Sydney Swans play the Gold Coast Suns also on Saturday at 1.45. Who is going to win? I mean, the Swans better win this one because, you know, their injury issues, 
uh, significant, but not more significant than uh, the Gold Coast Suns. And if there's an ever a week to not have your first choice ruck in the side, it's against the Suns who <laughs> have zero rucks in the side. Agree wholeheartedly, and I'm drunk drunk in the Kool-Aid. <laughs> I have sipped the Kool-Aid from you that you have handed to me when it comes to Sydney, and I'm tipped Sydney as well. We've got Carlton versus Brisbane Lions at... 16.35. I couldn't do my math. 4.35? 4.35. I have tipped Brisbane Lions. What about you? Yeah, got to go with the Lions after last week's performance. And after my curly question to David T, <laughs> I think that Carlton could also pull their socks up. Anzac Eve, Melbourne versus Richmond, of course, at the MCG on Saturday night. Who are you tipping? I'm going to go out on a limb and go for Melbourne here because I think, as I said earlier, if there's ever a chance for Melbourne to, to kind of break that duck, it's now. It absolutely is now and your lips to God's ears, but I have my <laughs> pragmatic mind has meant that I've tipped Richmond, <laughs> but I do hope to see a D's win. What about Dockers versus North Melbourne? Look, if it weren't for North Melbourne, you'd feel, if it weren't North Melbourne, you'd feel sorry for them, but um, <laughs> Fremantle, Fremantle all the way here. I have also tipped Fremantle, but really, who cares? <laughs> one of those games. I don't think it is. Is that harsh? I that think they're a great side to watch. They're a great emerging side. Mm. You've okay. got to love Sean Darcy's work. Do I? Do I have to love it? Because <laughs> I don't really. <laughs> All right. Sunday, Hawthorne versus Adelaide Crows. Who are you going for? Yeah, it's got to be Adelaide. I know they had an off week last week, but Hawthorne just don't look likely at all, do they? No, they really don't. Although, you never know with Hawthorne. I just feel like Hawthorne's one of those sides, and I don't know if that's just the Alistair Clarkson shine, but I always feel a little bit nervous with Hawthorne, but I have tipped Adelaide. Anzac Day, the big one, Collingwood versus Essendon. What do you think? I think this is a really weird game because... Both sides really need the win and both sides are missing people and need to just fire up a bit. I'm going to go with Essendon in this one. Uh, Essendon's best has been produced despite injuries Um, and when they have found some form, they've looked very, very good and a lot of that is off the back of some of their young talent. Collingwood are just uh, going to struggle, is what I'm going to say there. Yeah, they're depleted without Dugowie and Howe. I don't know that they can get over the line. So I've gone for Essendon as well. And final game of the round is Port Adelaide versus St Kilda. Who do you think wins this one? Port are my pick for everything this year. <laughs> Agreed. It's pretty much a no-brainer in Adelaide. Port Adelaide are going to thump St Kilda. Go Travis Boak. Port Adelaide have never had a Brownlow medalist before, so I'm fully on board the Travis Boak for Brownlow train this year. Who are your top five performers at the moment? To, to this season to date? Yeah. Uh-huh. David Mundy is one. His ability to work off his teammates, bring teammates into the game and then work off their energy is really great, and that's what a great senior player does. Callum Mills at the Swans. He's moved into the midfield this year and it's done wonders. 
the fear when Dane Rampy got injured was that the Swans would shuffle things around, move him back into defense for the time that Rampy was out, but they've stuck fat and, and kind of backed him in as a mid and then backed in other defenders to get the job done. Obviously, it didn't quite work on the weekend, but I love that they're developing Callum Mills as this sort of player. Sorry to choose a second swan, um, but Tom Hickey's impact on that side Mm. can't be understated. And as I said earlier, losing him is going to be a really difficult player to cover for the rest of the season. From a a side that is absolutely struggling, but I think Jaden Stevenson has been very good at North. He's been probably their best player so far this year. In a struggling side, he tries to create things. He still has the confidence to try to do something rather than play safe football. I think that is something that is really important and it's going to put them in good stead for the future. It looks dire now, but having players like that is going to be really important. Mm. Oh, and, you know, probably Max Gorn. Uh, I said earlier, his tap work brings his midfielders into games in a way that other rucks aren't able to do. Um, I think Jared Witz is very good at that. Obviously, he's out with an ACL now. Like, there are others around. Mm. Nick Nat. Nick Nat plays kind of a hybrid ruck role. But I think the way Max Gorn does it and then his intelligence to position himself around the field where he they need him most, whether it's forward of the ball, whether it's behind the ball, his inte- footy intelligence is just off the charts. And I fully respect that he's not only good at his craft, but also is very aware of his teammates. And that is what makes a very good player and also a very good captain. Let's be clear. I totally put you on the spot for that. So you do reserve the right to change your mind. <laughs> Um, and if you're hearing this, she didn't edit it, edit it out, which is impressive. So. <laughs> well, that's it for our first episode of Footy Actually. We would love to get some feedback, but more importantly, to hear your questions. So please do write to us. We are at Ranahus on Twitter, at Play on Radio Melb. Where can people find you, Gemma? Find me at GL Bastiani on Twitter. That is where I live. <laughs> Please do like us and rate us. Women's Voices Talking Men's Footy is niche and we would love your support. So tell a friend to listen, but review and subscribe is the best thing you can do right now to support us. Thank you for listening. Who needs love when you've got footy, actually? Actually.